Well, welcome everybody and uh, welcome youth as well that we've got in today. Well, for 10 weeks now, we've been studying one of Jesus' letters in Revelation. Now, 10 weeks seems a long time, doesn't it, to spend on just one letter? Although I've been amazed at how much I've been revealing, kind of revealed to me from it. So, uh, so we'll go to the first PowerPoint, because we're getting to the, we've got to the close, the last verse of Jesus' letter to one of the churches in Revelation, and you all know it pretty well. Jesus said, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now the whole letter is about the Lord Jesus disciplining and ministering to our souls. Okay, not our spirit, our souls. Because when a person commits their lives to the lordship of Jesus, receives his salvation, commits their lives to his lordship, he promises that they become born again, a new creation. Their spirit, something miraculous happens inside their spirit in their innermost being. They become born again and the Holy Spirit is sent to dwell. Jesus comes in the form of his spirit to live inside every believer one with their spirits, which is a miracle in itself, probably the biggest miracle a person would ever experience. And from that place of their spirit, Jesus then knocks on the door of their soul, which is their mind, their will, their emotions. Let me in. I want to come in and eat with you, have this time of meeting with you. Not just one-off, but Every day, every moment, Jesus would love to be meeting and exchanging conversation with us. Now, the Bible calls Jesus the shepherd and the caretaker of our souls. He wants to take care of our souls. And we've been studying for the last 10 weeks the transformational effect that Jesus can have in and with and through our souls as we let him take care of our mind, our will, our emotions. And last week I left the sermon on a bit of a cliffhanger. <laughs> Just what was it about me spending the whole night with a prostitute that caused me to stop smoking? Well, in a moment we'll finish off that story. But First, I just want us to take a look at the first few verses of what is probably, in the Old Testament, probably the best known and most used Bible passage. Now, what would you say in the Old Testament is probably the best used and best known? Okay, Jeremiah 29. Yes, it is, it is well used. That's by believers, Okay. But if I were to say non-believers as well as believers use this verse and probably know it the most, or this passage, sorry, this passage. Yes, 23rd Psalm, Psalm 23. Now, young people, can any of you, for a small chocolate bar, name or just quote the first opening verse of Psalm 23? Yeah. 
Sorry, what was that? The Lord is my shepherd. Yes, why is she? Yeah, it's in my bag. Marie will uh, get you out. A small chocolate. Now for a big chocolate. Can anyone quote the whole psalm off by heart? Fads is confident. Okay. Anyone else apart from that? I've got two big bars of chocolate. Anyone else confident that they could give it a go? Psalm 23, off by heart. Any version, I mean, no, sorry, any, any age. Chris says he can. Fads says he can. Okay, Chris, could you come up on there? Fads, if you want to stand there, please. Okay, thank you. There's, there should be two. Thanks, Marie. You don't even want the chocolate. Fads? No, no, come on. All right, keep your, keep your backs to the screen. Don't look at the screen, okay? Keep. Okay, all right. Now, Jason, you can put it up for everyone else. All right, okay. Chris, would you like to start us off and I'll stop you? Lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Yep. Is he correct so far? Okay. Fads, he restores my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. No. Okay. Chris. He guides me. <laughs> Can I stop him again? He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Um, he... Fads, come back up. It's your turn. He leads me beside quiet waters. I'm sorry. Okay. We'll, we'll prompt you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for He is with me. My, his, his rod and His staff um, accompany me or comfort me. I, I normally know this. It's just because I'm doing it in front Putting of you on all. The spot. Yeah. <laughs> You're comforts self me. Um, he, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely, good. He anoints my head with oil. Surely goodness and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. That was good. Well done, Chris. It wasn't chocolate worthy, but it was, it was good. But I'm sure if you weren't on the spot at home, yeah. <laughs> as long as you know the gist. Let's go to the next slide. It starts off with, the Lord is my shepherd. And when De- King David wrote that, years, hundreds of years later, Jesus came along and he, what did he say? I am the good shepherd. He also said, and my sheep follow me. My sheep follow me. They listen to my voice and they follow me. Is the Lord your shepherd? Do you follow him? The next bit says, I shall not want. Now, quite commonly, we quote the psalm thinking, I shall not want, to mean things, stuff. I shall not want for stuff, because God is going to provide for me, and I can ask him, and God will give me things. 
Okay? Anyone here testify to the fact that God has given you things? Yeah? All the time. Isn't God good and generous? When we ask him and when we don't ask him, God provides, doesn't he? So he does provide us things, stuff. But when we think about what we've been learning over the last 10 weeks, do you think when David says, I shall not want, do you think he's talking about stuff or something else? His soul. I believe that God is, sorry, David is talking about his soul being satisfied, his soul not wanting. And the, the reason I believe that is in the next couple of bits, in the next screen, David writes, he makes me lie down in green pastures, meaning eating, okay, which we heard Jesus say, let me in and I'll eat with you. He leaves me beside still waters, which means drinking, and we've heard about drinking from the Holy Spirit. He restores my soul, okay? The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want, because he restores my soul. When I eat with him and drink from him, he restores my soul. When Jesus is truly my shepherd, and I have times of stopping and meeting with him, chewing the cud, as it were, and drinking his living water, letting the shepherd be caretaker of my soul, what can he do? He can restore my soul. And when he restores my soul, whether I've got stuff or no stuff, I can begin to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Do you remember that old hymn? It is well with my soul. Fads has got, hold on, follow fads, okay? You ready? It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. That sounded good, didn't it? Yeah. Okay. When we let Jesus take care of our soul and restore our soul, when we meet with him, we can say it is well with my soul. Even if I don't have all the things. If you look to the history of that hymn, you'll be shocked at what happened to the hymn writer. In, that caused him to write that amazing song. Now, the Apostle Paul, who knew Jesus really, really well, felt able to make this amazing statement, if we, if we look up on the slide. In Philippians 4.12, Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Now, Paul knew what it was to have great success. Even people who walk, he walked past got healed. Amazing. And Paul also knew what it was to not have great success and to suffer and struggle. And yet he could say, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Have you discovered the same secret that King David did in Psalm 23 and Paul has discovered here? Whether in good times or bad, if we truly let Jesus be the shepherd and caretaker of our souls, our souls are restored and strengthened by Jesus. And it was 18 years ago that Jesus strengthened my soul. He strengthened what I could not do in my soul. He did it. 
that night I spent with a prostitute. So, just to recap for those who weren't here last week, about the age of six, I was adamant that I was going to smoke. I had no parent. I didn't have parents that smoked, no family who smoked. Their, their grandparents, my great-grandparents, no one smoked, no one of friends smoked. I had no influence of smoking, although you did see it on TV a bit more uh, in those days, and there were adverts in magazines. But at the age of six, I was just longing to smoke to the point where I'd make my own pretend cigarettes. Um, not real cigarettes then. I wasn't old enough uh, to get my hands on proper tobacco, otherwise I would. Um, but I, uh, I made them out of uh, just cardboard and talcum powder, put a little filter in, cotton wool filter, and just blew rather than sucked, because sucking, <laughs> sucking would have been pretty horrible. But you got the effort, the effect of smoke. And also I made my little packets, and then I'd take out, cut out advertisements from magazines and put my silk cut or bins in the hedges or whatever it was, kind of magazine cover over my pretend packet, and I have a real packet of cigarettes, and I go around smoking my cigarettes. And then my dad, I was about nine or ten, he got quite perturbed by the fact that I really wanted to smoke, and he thought, I'll take some cigarettes, I'll, I'll borrow some cigarettes from someone at work. He worked at Gypsy Hill Police Station at that time, and he got bored of a friend's packet of cigarettes with two cigarettes left in it. They were Rothmans. They were pretty strong. And he gave one to my brother and I, lit it for us on the stove in the kitchen, sat us down and said, OK, try that, in the hope that we'd be put off for life. And my brother was sick instantly. He took a puff and he was sick. And I kept on puffing. And my dad kind of laughed, but not quite a nervous laugh in a sort of disbelief kind of, what? This isn't working. And then when I was old enough to disappear to the woods uh, on my own, I'm guessing kind of 10, that age, 11, I used to roll my own tea leaf cigarettes. Now, they weren't even smoking cigarette paper. I didn't know there was such a thing as like really thin cigarette paper. I used to make it out of real paper or cardboard <laughs> and stuff it with tea leaves. I think I had a filter still. But you can imagine, my eyes were stinging, kind of trying to kind of avoid the smoke that was going into my eyes. It was strong. And one day, I was on the bus with my best friend, Tristan. We were going past Whitgift School, East Croydon, and I lit up one of my tea leaf cigarettes on the top of the bus, because you're allowed to smoke on the top of the bus in those days. And um, there was a Rastafarian. On the bus, we were at the back, he was towards the front, and we lit up this, uh, this, this tea leaf cigarette. And he turned around and he kissed his teeth and he said, I can't kiss my teeth, but he said, Char, what you smoking? Smells like pond weed. <laughs> and uh, we quickly threw the cigarette out of the, out of the window. Um, so, and then about the age of 13, I was old enough to buy real cigarettes. Not old enough legally, but old enough to look old enough to buy. And I think in those days, um, some news agents would sell you a single cigarette, wouldn't they, to, to school children. Um, but I bought my first coveted 10, pack of 10, silk cut. So I bought my 10 silk cut, and I disappeared. This was on my own, not with anyone else. I disappeared to the woods. And I smoked my first 
real cigarette. And by that time, I'd learned that you suck. And you don't just suck, you breathe in. Okay? Because before then, I just sucked and blew out again. But I was going to be a proper smoker. And I felt really lightheaded and quite sick when I first smoked my first cigarette. But that didn't put me off at all. I felt quite victorious. I've, I've reached somewhere that I was desiring to. Years and years, this desire to, to smoke. And, um, and also, at that time, I started going, about 13, I started going to Pollard's Hill Baptist Church in Mitcham because my best friend at school, I went to Archbishop Tennyson's school, and a Church of England school in East Croydon. And he lived in Mitcham, and I started going to his church in Mitcham. So I spent most of my weekends, Saturdays and Sundays, around Mitcham with my best friend. And uh, so it gave me lots of time to smoke. But I didn't smoke kind of um, in the evenings. I wouldn't disappear out for a cigarette sort of thing. So it was a bit strange. I wanted to smoke, but I didn't kind of upset my parents and let them know I was smoking. Um, and so every opportunity I had was most weekends. I didn't get in trouble at school either. It was strange. I had this kind of uh, dichotomy going on where, on one hand, I really want to smoke. On the other hand, I didn't get in trouble for it, particularly at school. So I was obeying the rules, but at the same time, I was knowing I was kind of doing wrong and disobeying my parents. They'd be gutted if they found out. Um, so I didn't smoke on the way to school or during school or after school, which some people did. I'd only smoke at weekends. Um, and the strange thing was, was I never had any physical kind of, um, what do they call it, um, withdrawals, cravings kind of thing. I'd, I'd look forward to smoking again, but I'd never have any physical cravings. And then uh, I suppose I went proper full-time smoking uh, in a sense when I left school at 16. And then I had 11 hours of the day from getting up early in the morning, going on building sites, and then getting the trains and things back home, and then smoking in the car when I was old enough to drive. So I had 11 hours of smoking to pack in, and I used to pack in quite a bit. And then oh, I also, before then, I worked at Woolworths, and I used to make myself feel sick by over-smoking. I don't know if anyone's ever got nicotine poisoning, but uh, it's a thing. I've never been drunk in my life, but I've been quite ill on occasions because I've smoked too much. Um, but yet, I'd be, feel ill, smoking too much in a break at Woolworths, but by the time the next break, I'd be lighting up again. Um, which sounds a bit silly, doesn't it? But that's the problem when you are addicted to something. Um, it has a hold on you, and you don't even realise. And I think the worst time I felt I was actually a slave to smoking was when I used to smoke with a streaming cold. You know, and you've got a streaming cold, and you've got a cough as well, and you continue smoking. You suddenly realise how much of a slave you are to it. Um, when you... you, oh, it's, well, you you can imagine what it's like making a streaming cold worse by smoking the taste and the effects of your lungs and things. And yet, I still desired to smoke, which was, which was strange. I remember getting on the bus once in Mitcham with my best friend, and another guy from church, our youth group, came on called Chris. And he said, why are you two smoking? He said, don't you know what it says in the Bible? And I think there's, uh, he quoted this verse, not word for word, I don't think, but... Um, Corinthians 1, 
There we go. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom God you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. He says something along those lines. Now, I acknowledge that, yes, probably smoking is not honouring God with my body. However, I've got plenty of time later on to deal with that kind of thing, and I'm sure that's not top on God's priority, smoking. Other, I'm good at other things. I'm, I'm good for God in other ways, but... I'm sure God is not too bothered. So I kind of acknowledged it, but at the same time thought, you know, it doesn't really speak to me that much. Um, so uh, where are we? Okay. Um, I wouldn't smoke in the evenings. I wouldn't pop out for a cigarette when I lived with my parents when I was 16 going on uh, later on. Um, and I wouldn't smoke if we visited family for the day or for the weekend or if I'd spend two weeks on a holiday with mum and dad. Wouldn't smoke at all. And again, it, I didn't have any physical kind of withdrawals from it. It was just a case of I'm looking forward to my next cigarette. Um, so it was weird because I, I didn't fight that kind of withdrawals. And I did try and give up. Um, where are we? Okay. Talking about being a slave to smoking and feeling how ridiculous it was that I was smoking even when I was sick. Um, John 8:24. I don't know if it's on the screen. Is it? Next one. No. John 8, 24 says, Jesus said, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, I don't know whether you consider smoking a sin or not, but I think we all kid ourselves when we think that we're not slaves in, order of, in need of rescue. We're all slaves in need of Jesus' rescue. Okay. Um, Right. At 19, I started trying to get fit to join the police. There's quite a rigorous entrance exam, physical and, and tests and things like that, to get through to join the police. So I immediately I, I applied to join the police. It took about 11 months to, from start to finish. I gave up smoking. And my desire was to get fit. And I did get fairly fit. I was, I was fairly fit. I could do about 80, 80 or 90 press-ups. I could do at least 60 in one minute. And all the running and things that went along with that and stretching. Um, and I met Marie during that time as well. So Marie met David the non-smoker. Okay? But when I passed all the tests for the police after 10 months of, or 11 months of not smoking... Do you know what I did? I went back to smoking. I first smoked cigars. I was still an electrician at the time um, on building sites, and I smoked cigars because that's not really, really smoking, is it? If you just puff a cigar, you tell yourself, again, when you're a slave to something, you kid yourself quite a bit. Um, and so I smoked cigars, but then after a few weeks of that, I went back to cigarettes. Um, because, now why did I do that? Why? I've met this lovely woman who's going to turn out to be my wife. She thinks I'm a non-smoker. And here I am, getting really fit, left it behind me, and yet foolishly start smoking again? Why? Why do it? Physically, when he said it was a stronghold, I've still got this creepy desire from when I was six years old, my soul, for some reason thirsted to smoke. 
And it was still there. Even though I'd left it behind, guess what? Ten months later, it's still with me. It's like it, it's like it follows me. This desire was following me around. I just couldn't leave it behind. Um, and later on, right at the end of the Psalm 23, it says this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So I'm just going to find the bit in here so I don't miss anything. Okay, all right. If you've ever been addicted to something or your soul thirsts for something that is wrong or is not according to God's word, you realize what a hold it has on you when you try and leave it behind. And you think you have, but then suddenly it's right there with you. It's like it's followed you. Psalm 23 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. But addictions and other problems with our souls can follow us too, can't they? Which is why it is so wise to let Jesus be the shepherd and the caretaker of our souls. Because I can do these things with the strength that he gives me. Whether in want or in plenty, when Jesus is the shepherd of my soul, sometimes he's able to give me the strength to say no, to overcome something that is causing me to be a slave. So, fast forward, I get into the place, I started smoking again. Maureen doesn't know I've started smoking. As far as she knows, I'm a non-smoker. Okay? And I started the police, and I smoked. I was in the police for 12 years, and I smoked 11 years in the police out of those 12. Um, and you say, well, how can you smoke, and yet your wife knows nothing about it? Well, in those days, um, it's quite ordinary to smoke in pubs. It's quite ordinary to smoke at work, uh, in the police cars. So even if you're a non-smoker, you can go somewhere and end up smelling of smoke. Okay? And if you wash your hands and chewing gum and things like that and not smoke an hour before you get home or on the way home, you know, your clothes smell of smoke and that's, wait, David smells of smoke because people smoke at work, smoke in the police cars. And so Marie actually didn't find out until a few months later after I stopped smoking. Now that's a whole other testimony. I'll tell you why I told Marie that I'd been smoking all those years, having married her, that she didn't know about. Okay. So, even when I first started the police, come out of Hendon, the first thing that my new sergeant, Peter Warren, said to me when I turned up on my first day at Lee Road Police Station was, ah, good, you smoke. Because he smoked, and half the team smoked, and I think he had a fag on at the time. And so he saw that I smoked and said, oh, good, you smoke. That's good, you'll fit in on this team. And you'll find that when your soul is struggling with something that is against God's will for you, often you'll meet other people with the same problems that will actually encourage you in those problems because the enemy has an agenda too. Um, and he'll cause you to meet up with other people that encourage you in the wrong way. Um, now, fast forward... 11 years. Uh, by this time, I'm a sergeant. And I'm at, at the back of Croydon Police Station. And I'm having a cigarette. 
uh, in the back of Croydon Police Station. And by this time, I'm also seriously looking into being a Baptist pastor. Okay? Still smoking, yet seriously looking into being a Baptist pastor. I don't see a real problem with smoking um, as far as God is concerned. Although in, I've tried to give up, especially when our children were born, tried to give up for those reasons, like health reasons, financial reasons, um, and all the good reasons people come up with for giving up smoking. Um, but I haven't been able to. I've even prayed about it. Please, you know, I need to give up smoking. I've got children now. But I kept on going back. I give up for three months or so, then keep on going back. It followed me, basically. This desire. Um, anyway, it, it was well known in the police stations that this person was trying to become a vicar. Okay? It was known that I was looking at becoming a Baptist pastor, or they would say vicar. And someone came up to me at Croydon Police Station in the yard and said, hang on a minute. I didn't know you smoked. I thought you were going to be a vicar. And I said, yeah, that's probably I might become a vicar, but um, I said, I don't, don't drink. I don't swear or anything like that. You know, I'm, I have no other vices. And smoking didn't see much of a problem. And they went, okay. And then... I was at South Norwood Police Station and someone else, totally unconnected, came up to me about two weeks later and said, hang on a minute, I've heard you're going to become a vicar. How come you're smoking? And I gave the same spiel of, well, I don't you know, drink, I don't swear kind of thing. I didn't think it was much of a problem. Anyway, around about that time, maybe a week or two later, I am custody sergeant at night duty at South Norwood Police Station. It's a quiet night. And someone in the cells, a lady in the cells who, uh, who was at that time a prostitute, um, had been uh, arrested for shoplifting. And because of her, her record, she wasn't given bail, but charged to appear in court the next morning. And so she was in the cell. It was getting late. And she wanted to come out and phone her solicitor before court in the morning. So I let her out to have a phone call. And then, as she came off the phone call, she saw that I had my Bible on the counter there, on the, on the, on the custody counter, being a good Christian witness that I was, reading my Bible, and um, thinking I was. And she said, oh, what are you reading? I said, I'm reading my Bible. And she said, oh, I, I'll go to church. I said, which church do you go to? She said, well, I don't know what it's called, but we sing hymns and then we contact the dead. And uh, I said, oh, that sounds like a spiritualist church. Um, I said, the Bible warns you, you, don't get, you shouldn't get involved in that sort of stuff. You don't contact the dead. Um, and she said, oh, okay. And then put her back in her cell. And then later on, she came out because the, the solicitor had turned up. And so she was going into a consultation with the solicitor. And... By that time, I texted my pastor and asked him, what's that Bible reference that talks about do not contact the dead, spiritualists, mediums, witchcraft, and things like that? And uh, it's actually his wife who texted me back and said, this is, the, this is the reference, and I looked it up. And so I showed this lady. I said, here you are, here it says in the Bible where you shouldn't defile yourself with contacting the dead. And she went into her uh, consultation with a solicitor. And when she came out, I, I was rolling cigarettes by that time because it was cheaper. You know, I'd, I'd kind of kid myself that smoking is expensive. And if I can't give up because it's expensive, I'll just smoke cheaper roll-ups instead. So I was, I was having a roll-up cigarette, 
by the back kind of gate uh, in the custody suite there. And she came out of, the, um, of her consultation. She came up to me and she said, hang on a minute. You've been lecturing me from your Bible and you're going to be a vicar and you're smoking. And uh, I, can't, I can't remember if it was myself who put her back or the jailer who put her back, but I stood there with my cigarette at the back gate, realizing that God was speaking to me. Not one, not two, but three people now had had a problem with me becoming a vicar and smoking. And I remember saying a very, very simple prayer, something like, Lord, I don't have a problem with smoking, or I didn't think I had a problem with smoking. And I didn't think you did. But it seems like me smoking affects how other people see you and see me. Something along those lines of, Lord, I've got to give up smoking. And instantly, that second, I said, Lord, I need to give up smoking because it affects how people see you. That creepy weird desire that I had from six years old to smoke suddenly left me. All of a sudden, I no longer desire to smoke. And in fact, I felt the reverse. I felt a repulsion. All the time I'd want to be repulsed by smoking, even when I was sick and I was still smoking, I thought this is really stupid. And yet, I wasn't repulsed by it. I was drawn to it. In that moment, even though I prayed years before, please help me to stop smoking, God didn't help me. And yet, in that moment, when I said, Lord, it affects how people see you, I need to give up, that suddenly that desire just completely left me and I have never wanted to smoke or smoked since that time, which is, I think, about 18 years ago now. Why didn't God help me all those years, particularly when I was a six-year-old? Why didn't God rescue me from this self-destructive thirst in my soul? For whatever reason, whether it was caused by Satan or not, since childhood my soul had thirsted to smoke, We'll go another day on can a Christian or can a child be affected by Satan, okay? But whether it was Satan or not that affected me all those years and given me that awful desire, why did God help me that night and not before? Well, the next verse in Psalm 23 gives the answer. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's what I'd never asked for right up until that moment. Was It was always for me, for my children, for my health, for financial reasons. When I made Jesus... And for his name's sake, 
the reason why I wanted to be free, the reason why I no longer needed or wanted this desire to smoke. Suddenly, Jesus was able to step in in that moment and totally change my soul's thirst, whatever was causing it. If Jesus is really your shepherd, then it's no longer about you, it's about him. His will takes priority over yours. Because if it doesn't, he cannot strengthen your soul. You cannot do all these things in his strength. Because unless you say to him, you're going to lead me, Jesus, for your name's sake, not for mine, not for my pleasure, but for yours. doesn't matter whether you're going to be a Baptist pastor or a vicar or um, an insurance clerk or whatever it is that you, you're doing or going to be doing for him. You need to submit fully to his lordship, his shepherding. And then he can begin to strengthen and restore your soul in areas that have been following you all these years. But suddenly when you say, it's for you, Jesus, for your name's sake, whatever you want, that's what I want. And the more we shall find that he restores and strengthens our souls so that through him, we can do all these things in his strength as he restores and strengthens our soul.